Thank you very much, Rabbi Velvovsky. Thank you for the beautiful introduction. It's definitely something that's on all our minds. And I want to begin, as always, that this is such a beautiful initiative that Rabbi Velvovsky and Mr. Tyberg and the Chabad of Silver Spring has undertaken to bring together the Rabbanim and Unity to speak in, in Chabad. And it's just such so indicative of how unique and wonderful the relationship that exists between the Rabbanim, between the communities, and between the shuls. And that's truly a, a very big schos and a, a big merit that we all need and can use moving forward towards Kabbalah Satayra. The topic I want to speak about today is improving our Bein Adam our treatment of our friends, families, and community. And as a preface, I want to address the terrible tragedy that occurred on the happy day of Svir on Lag Ba'imer, where so many lives were lost, as Rabbi Lovavsky just spoke about, from every community, both in America and in Israel. And I just want to use it as a preface to understand the extreme importance and urgency of taking this particular issue of improving our Ben Adam improving our relationships with the people around us to take that issue to heart. The unfortunate truth is that the days of Sphere were historically days of tragedy. These days between Pesach and Shavuos were days that were filled with tra- tra- tragedy in Jewish history. The tefillah that we say right before Musaf on Shabbos, Av Horachamim, was instituted in particular because of the tragedies that took place during these days. In the shul where I grew up, we followed the minig of the Chasim Sefer that they only said Av Harachamim during these days of Svira between Pesach and Shavuos. They did not say it the rest of the year. And in all shuls, the minig is, is that during these days you say Av Harachamim regardless of whether it's Arish Chaydesh or Shabbos Birchas Chaydesh or if there's a Chasin or if there's a Brismila, we still say Av Harachamim because these days were days that there were tragedies in the history of Klal Yisrael. Of course, the greatest tragedy that the, the, day of, the days of Sphira were initiated was because of the 12,000 the 12, pairs of students of Rabbi Akiva that died during this time. But then, during the First Crusade in 1096, most of the massacres occurred during this time, between Pesach and Shavuos. And they reinstated the mourning of Sephira for the sake of those who gave their lives in Kiddush Hashem. And then later in Tachvatat in the year 1648, the Chalmaniki massacres also took place during this time of year between, between Pesach and Shavuos. And the question that begs to be asked is, what is it about this time of year? Why, in particular, was this a time that so much tragedy took place in the history of, of, Jew, of the Jewish people? Why... The Tamida Rabbi Akiva died then, and the first uh, Crusades, and, and the Tachvatat. Why was it during this particular time of year? And more importantly, what can we learn from this, and which area of Aveda is this coming to teach us to focus? So we know many, many Sepharim address this, and more or less they come around to the same point. And we know that the 24,000 Tamidim of Rabbi Akiva died during these days, and Chazal explain that the reason was a seeming deficiency in Ben Adam Lachavere. They didn't respect each other as 
would be expected of them. Now, of course, whenever we talk in reference to the Talmidim, the, the Tanoim, the, 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 the Talmidim, the students of Rabbi Akiva, uh, we have no idea what it actually might mean, how it actually played out. Would we have been there living during that time? There's no question we wouldn't have seen anything amiss with their treatment of each other. But nevertheless, on their level, on, on the level of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who had the ability to understand what was expected of them, there was some deficiency, but more importantly for us, uh, the lesson we have to take from this is that during these days, we have to be exceedingly careful with our own relationships and work on letting go of grudges and resentment and elevating our own level of respect for our fellow human being. So these days between Pesach and Shuas are a time that we're meant to perfect our Ben Adam Because when Klai Yisrael stood on Har Sinai, the preparation that they did, the key preparation according to Rashi and according to Chazal was they were they achieved a level of achdus, they achieved a level of unity, and that was the only thing that allowed them to go forward in order to accept the Torah. So that's the preparation necessary that we have to do in order to prepare for Kabbalah Satara. The Chidah writes, during the days of the Oymer, Tzorach Lizor B'Yoyser Ba'avedis Hashem and serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Be very careful with serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu U'Bifrat and specifically B'Inyan Sinas Chinam Tzorach Ladaktik Me'oid Baseless hatred has to be, we have to be very careful to eradicate that from our midst. The Kafachayim also writes that the, all the, the, the Avelis, all the, the, the Minhagim that we have to mourn are there so that we can help ourselves to distance ourselves from hatred, and from jealousy, and haughtiness, and covet, and, and seeking honor, and to, to achieve midah of humility and peace. It's extraordinarily important during these days to perfect ourselves in those midas. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as we see, takes this very seriously. Because our preparation for Kabbalah Satira is a, a safer by uh, Rav Nassim Shpira, he's a Makubal, and he explains this with uh, Kabbalah approach, which must have, I, of it I didn't understand. But his point was, he says that the Torah we have is compared in Chazal to 24 Kishutim, which is 24 ornaments that a bride adorns herself to prepare for her chasna, for her chasin. And we adorn ourselves with the Torah, which means we prepare ourselves for Matan Torah when we want to bond with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who, so to speak, is our chasin, our, the groom. The way to prepare ourselves is to elevate ourselves and perfect ourselves in our midas, in our ben adam l'chavera, in, our, in all aspects of character growth. That's what needs to be perfected. And those are the 24 ornaments that we adorn ourselves with, the perfume, the makeup, the jewelry. And he says that if we don't, if we fail to perfect ourselves, we overlook it and we, we kind of ignore it, so he says that's as if a chasen and kala are in the yichud room after the, 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 the chuppah and the chasen gives the kala a string of pearls, a beautiful string of pearls, and then she steps out of the yichud room and she hands it to another man that she uh, was once friends with. It would be a betrayal, and that's the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes that, when we of course HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows what we can do, but whatever he expects of us, he expects us to take it with the appropriate level of seriousness and commitment in order to prepare for our Kabbalah Satar, because that's a tremendous moment for us as Jews, and it has tremendous potential. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu expects a lot from us. That's why this time of year has tremendous potential, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu expects a lot from us, and has an extreme urgency that we do our best to perfect ourselves in those areas. <clears throat> Thank <laughs> you.
the event that occurred gave us all pause. It made us stop in our tracks, and we were, it was heartrending. We were all in shock. And a human being, I heard a, a, a wonderful line from a, uh, an author named Daniel Seidman. He says, when you put a machine on pause, it stops. But when you pause a human being, it starts. Meaning to say, when we give, when we finally are, we give pause, and we're shaken up, and we stop, that's when we begin to think. And that's when we begin to reflect. And that's when we have the opportunity to make a change. And that's why it's so important that we don't let this slip through our fingers. We've been given an opportunity here. It was sad and it's tragic. But it's here to, let, to, to wake us up and get us to start doing something, to make a change. I want to learn through a very well-known Mishnah, the beginning of the fourth parak of Pirkei Avis. It's the parak that we just le- uh, read the past Shabbos. Fourth parak. And it begins with the Mishnah of Ben Zayma Oimer. Ben Zayma says, Ezel Chacham, who is a wise man? Haloyman Mikal Adam, someone who learns from everybody, from all people. Ezel Gibar, who is a strong man, who is a mighty person. Hakoyvishes Yitzray, someone who subdues his Yitzharaz, evil inclination. Ezehu Ashir, who is a wealthy man. Hasameh Bechalka, someone who is satisfied with what he has, with his lot. Ezeh Mechubid, who is worthy of honor, who is worthy of respect. Hamachabed Esabriyah, someone who respects other people. So the Tana Ben Zayma gives us four dictums. He tells us how to achieve what really every human being in the world wants to achieve. They want to achieve wisdom, they want to achieve might, strength, power, they want to have wealth, and they want to have, be honored, they want to be respected. And he gives us the secret key, the secret ing- ingredient. You want to be wise, learn from every person. You want to be mighty, you want to be powerful, subdue your Yetzirah. You want to be wealthy, be happy with what you have, and you want to achieve honor honor other people, respect other people. So let's go through this one by one and try to understand and develop what the Tana actually means here in light of improving our Ben Adam Lechaver because each one of these uh, each one of these statements are essential ingredients for us to move forward in our quest to become perfect in Ben Adam Lechaver, in our relationships with our fellow man, with the people around us. Rav Volba says that he says that when we talk about Loimen Mikal Adam, we have to understand that means Mikal Adam from every single person. There isn't a person out there that doesn't have something they can teach us. They can teach us in wisdom, they can teach us in decency, in politeness, in Midas Taivas, in good character traits. If a person in the street is kind and hope, holds the door open for us, he's taught us something about being a human being, being respectful. If a cashier smiles at us and makes us feel good, they have taught us something that if we care to learn. I remember listening to a speech from a famous secular speaker, his name is Lance Miller, uh, who claims his life was turned around by a one secretary, one receptionist. He says, he describes how difficult his life was at the time, and he was in a business meeting, and he comes out of the business meeting, and he's holding the ticket that he got in the parking garage, and he goes over to the receptionist, and he says, uh, do you validate? So she says, I do. You have a lovely smile. So he didn't quite get it right away, so he waved his ticket, and he says, no, no, I was just in a meeting with your boss. Uh, do you validate? And she replied again, certainly. And I have to compliment you on your fine choice of business associates. Finally, he understood what was going on, and he caught on. And he says, you know, you have such a keen sense of humor. 
I'll tell your boss how lucky he is to have you out there. <laughs> so she said, no, give me that ticket. And she validated it. And he goes on to say how that changed his life from that point and on, where he realized how important it was, how different it made him feel, how it changed his life when someone validated him. Someone gave him some validity. They smiled at, the, at him. They complimented him. They made him feel like a person. And it's an extraordinarily important lesson, which we'll get to a little bit later on when we talk about you give honor and respect to other people. But he learned something from anybody, from everybody, from a receptionist, and it changed his life. <clears throat> I just had a, a, a story just told to me, which also reflects beautifully on this message. Uh, there was a person uh, who, who was walking in the street, and he passed by one of his neighbor's house, and he saw that they were making a delivery of uh, kitchen cabinets. So he saw they were delivering kitchen cabinets to his house, so his mind started working, and he said, you know, if they're delivering kitchen cabinets to his house, they must be renovating. Now, if they're renovating their kitchen, that means they don't really have access to their kitchen. How are they going to make food for Shabbos? So Arab Shabbos, he showed up at their doorstep with Shabbos supplies, with Shabbos food, and it was tremendously appreciated. And I was like so taken by this. It's such an amazing story, because look at this person, a very simple Jew, he walked on the street and he saw something. Now he looked at it through the lens of chesed. That's the way this man looks at things. And he says, kitchen cabinets, they're renovating. He didn't think like some of us might, might think, wow, they're renovating. You know, maybe I should renovate too. <laughs> My kitchen could use a turnover and how much is it costing them? That's not the way he thought. He said, wait, they're renovating. They don't have a kitchen. How are they going to make food for Shabbos? And then he didn't go say, okay, how can I help? He just went and did it. He took action. There's so much we can learn from every person around us, from the way they act, from the way they live their lives. But Revolva goes a step further, and it penetrates much deeper into our personal growth. He says that, you know, the most difficult place, where is really the most important place that we have to be, we have to learn from everybody, is in our own homes. Because those are the people we're used to, those are the people we're accustomed to, those are the people we, think we know, and we know what they're all about. And those are the people we have the most to learn from. Let's take this one by one. Growing up, or after we've grown up, we have our parents. And we have a tremendous amount to learn from our parents, and that's true. But when you think about it, how much of an effort do we make to actively learn from our parents? We think we know our parents, right? And I hope everyone is blessed with a, with a good and wonderful relationship with their parents. But the truth is, children don't really understand all that much about their parents when they start to think about it and they start to examine and understand who they really were. I, I lost my father this year, the beginning of the year. And, you know, I, I had a wonderful relationship with my father, and, and, and I thought I knew a lot about my father. But let me just tell you one story that we found out during Shiva, which, which just, it, it just illustrates this point. My father had tremendous respect for the Rav of the shul that I grew up in, and I, and I knew that we all knew that. He always spoke of him in such high, with such high regard, and he would treat his opinion with such high regard, and whatever he sent, said was what went in our family. He, 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 was, he held him on a pedestal, and the Rav was some 15 years younger than him. But it didn't make any difference. Now, I knew that, but then during the Shiva... This Rav, my Rav, my Rav when I, who I grew up with, came to visit us during the Shiva. And when he got up to leave, he says, you know, let me tell, me, tell you something about your father that you don't know. 
in my early years, just when I became a Rav, I was a freshly hired Rav, and wasn't all that confident in my position. And your father, he gave me a $500 check twice a year in those early years. And he knew, and I know, I didn't, it wasn't like I needed that money. I had enough money. I was fine. I was self-sufficient. But by giving me that money, he gave me that confidence. He gave me that level of appreciation. And that really meant a lot to me in those days, in those years. And it gave me that confidence that I really needed to know that I was appreciated, that I was doing my job well. And it taught me a whole new lesson about who my father was. You know, my father was very European style. He didn't, he wasn't openly effusive. He would not praise, uh, you know, a lot and openly, that just wasn't his style, European style parenting. But he found other ways to do it. He found other ways to express his appreciation, and he was not lacking in the Midah Bakar Satayv at all. He found ways to validate other people. So we have to make our, our, our efforts to truly understand and learn from the people around us who we think we do know. And then we have our spouses, the husbands, our husbands or wives. Do we make that effort to truly understand and learn from our spouses? We live with them and we think we know them, we hope we know them. But if we step back and think about it, we have so much to learn from them. I, I know that I do. <laughs> I, was, I was recently thinking that should my, my daughter get engaged, I would sit down with her and just emphasize and, and point out to her how much she has to learn from her own mother. And if we actively learn and we demonstrate how we are learning from each other, is there any greater lesson in life that we could teach our own children? That's humility, that's respect, that's good meat. It's all rolled into one. And let's take this a step further. Do we try to understand our own children and learn from their behavior? And this is a, maybe a different twist on Lemon Bikal Adam. It's not learning necessarily something they're teaching you, but learning from people, learning from the people around you by trying to understand them. There's so much we have to learn. There's so much we have to improve on ourselves if we understand what they're all about. The altar of Kalm would say that a tradesman or a professional automatically examines the things that are part of his profession. I remember my uncle, he, he uh, was a wholesaler and retail qua- uh, carpet dealer, that's what he would sell, and he came in to visit me at my house in Lakewood once, and he immediately bent down and felt the carpet. That was just the first thing he did, you know, that's the way it is, you're in the business, that's what you do. Uh, my business is public speaking, I'm sure Rabbi Avovowski will agree that when we hear someone else speak, we start thinking, you know, what his tactics are, what is he doing, what is his shtick, you know, that we, oh, that's, that's what you do, you try to learn from. He says, the altar says, that if your business is Yerash and you have Diktaka Mitzvahs, you're careful with Mitzvahs, then you tend to watch how other people do Mitzvahs. If you're into davening, you watch how other people daven. But he says, the mission is telling us, if you want to be a Chacham, if you want to truly attain wisdom, then you have to be Lemin Mikala Adam. You have to seek to learn about the things even that aren't your thing. If you want to learn everything, you're open to learning from every person around you, whatever they're good at, whatever their expertise is, if they're good in davening, if they're good in shmir salashin, good in watching their tongue, not speaking gossip, they're good at learning Tyra, good at saying over Tyra, good at treating other people with respect. If we try to learn from everyone, that's when we can achieve the level of a chacham, of a wise man. The next statement of the Mishnah is Ezeo Gibar, who is mighty? Someone who controls his Yetzirah. Someone who, who manages to overcome his evil inclination. Rechaim Shemulavet Zatzal, he points out that Chazal tells us that a person really doesn't have a natural ability to overcome his evil inclination. Without HaKadosh Baruch Hu's special help, without Tziyat HaDashmai, it's hopeless. You can't do it. So what does this mean? That you are the Gibar, you're strong, you're powerful. If you overcome your evil inclination, he explains, it doesn't mean that you actually did it. What it means is you didn't give up. 
you persevered. You kept on trying your hardest until you got that Siyata Dishmaya, you got that heavenly divine assistance to be able to overcome your Sahara. And that's Gvura, that's what the word Gvura actually means. The, gvura, the word Gvura means overcoming, which means not giving up, constantly trying, knowing that you can try and you will succeed even though you might fail and you might fail again and again. And other Mepharshim point out even more uh, specifically in this Mishnah, they say it doesn't say Hamavatalas Yitzra, you nullify your Yitzhara. It doesn't say Hahirigas Yitzra, you kill your Yitzhara. It says Hakoivish Yitzra, you, you overcome, you subdue your Yitzhara, which means this is a constant battle. This is going on day after day, moment after moment. The constant temptation is constantly trying to trip us up, and we overcome. That's Gvura. The Gvura is, is when we don't give up. And we keep on trying, and we pick ourselves up even when we fail, and we do it nonetheless. One of the most empowering things a parent can do for their child is if we teach our children that no matter what, try. No matter if you might fail, try again. And don't give up. And this is such a powerful message for us and for anybody, that that is what qualifies a person as a gibar. That's what qualifies them as mighty. In Parshas Emmer that we just laned, we learned the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem, of sanctifying Hashem's name, Now typically, when we think of Kiddush Hashem, it conjures up in our mind the image of someone being threatened with a gun uh, to serve idols or to do some other cardinal sin, and they withstand the test and they die on Kiddush Hashem. And that's the simple understanding of the Pasik. But what's interesting is if you look in the Rambam, when he explains this Mishnah, he says something different. He says, Anybody who separates himself from doing a sin, or performs a mitzvah, not for any other ulterior motive, he's not scared of anybody, he's not frightened, he's not looking for honor, just because he wants to serve God, Rabbi, the same way Yosef Atzadik prevented himself, stopped himself from sinning with Potiphar, the wife of Potiphar, he has sanctified Hashem's name. So Kiddush Hashem doesn't mean dying for Hashem's name, it means living with Hashem's commandments and living for the sake of keeping Hashem's commandments with no other arterial motive. But then the Rambam goes on, and here's where it's fascinating. The example he just gave was a Bein Adam al-Makim. It was an example of a mitzvah that's between us and Hashem, not having, not having an illicit relationship. But then he goes on and he says as follows, If a chacham, if a wise man is careful with himself, he speaks with, with the people around him calmly, patiently, and he tries to identify with them, and he, he is nice to them. He's always careful to smile and, and when he greets them. And even if they humiliate him, he doesn't humiliate them back, he doesn't reply, he doesn't retort. Even though even the people that shame him, he still gives them honor. And he is honest in his business dealing. So on and so forth. And he goes above and beyond the letter of the law. All praise him, all love him. And they try to emulate him. This person has sanctified Hashem's name. And on this, the Pasik says, Hashem says, You are my servant, Yisrael, Yisrael, who I am proud of. Now, who doesn't want Hashem to be proud of them? But look at the examples, the majority of the examples that the Rambam gives for someone who sanctifies Hashem's name is someone who is careful with Ben Adam Lachaveris, someone who is so ultimate 
extra careful with how he treats the people around him. He speaks calmly. He's patient. He is Daitimu Rebbe. He identifies with them and he doesn't judge them. He's my Bilam Besaver Panami. He always greets them with a smile on his face. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't retort. He doesn't reply. So this reflects back on the Gevura that this Mishnah is talking about. The true test of Gevura, the true test, test of strength, is if we can control ourselves in our dealings between Ben Adam al between each other. I mean, think about it. You know, we think, when we think of Gvura, we think of tests, we automatically flash to Ben Adam Lamakim to, you know, the tests of, of keeping Shabbos and Taras uh, Bacha and Kashrus and like, so, like, like those mitzvahs, but truly, think about it, which is harder? If someone says a nasty comment to us to not hold a grudge, to not reply, to not take revenge, I would say that's way more difficult than controlling ourselves when we're not supposed to eat something. Controlling ourselves not to turn on a light on Shabbos, but certainly or any of the other things that might be a temptation, I think holding ourselves back when we're in a rage, when we have a temper, to have the patience to deal with uh, children that are really getting on our nerves after a long day of a stressful day. <laughs> you, know, you come home and you just don't have patience for anything. I think that, that perhaps takes the greatest gvura that there can possibly be. That's Ezu Gibra Kaivishes Yitzra. You want to achieve that level of Kiddush Hashem sanctifying Hashem's name. We can have to find somewhere where we can overcome ourselves, subdue, control ourselves, have patience, and treat other people with respect and give them that smile and have the patience for them and make them feel valued. This story I read, beautiful story. Um, Rabbi Eisman writes about it in his uh, a book, Shul with a View, and he tells, tells how he met with Rabbi Yisrael Epstein, who was a Rav in the early years in America, and then he retired and moved to Eretz Yisrael, and he had come, his daughter lived in Pseik, Rabbi Eisman is a Rav, and he had come for Yantiv, so Rabbi Eisman went to visit him, and he said, tell me a story, Rabbi, Rabbi Epstein, tell me a story of, you know, the story that sticks out about your Rabbanis that really made an impression upon you, so his daughter who was there, turns to him and he says, Papa, tell him the, about the Pesach of 1957. So Rabbi, Rabbi um, Epstein's eyes sparkled and he started to say this story. He said, you know, in those years it was very difficult to get Shmura Matzah. To get Matzah, that's Shmura, that's the, you know, our, our round Matzahs that was specially watched from the time when it, was, uh, when it was harvested. It was very difficult to get a hold of it. And I got myself one box and I also got many other boxes of matzah, which I distributed to the people in my congregation. So the, the one box of shmura matzah, which I intended to use for myself by the Seder, was white. And all the other boxes were blue. And many people would come, 20, 30 people would come, and I would distribute matzah to them all through, till Pesach. And it was Arab Pesach, and I was selling the chametz, and I was very busy, and there was a knock on the door. So my six-year-old daughter, that was this daughter who was there, she goes and uh, opens the door, comes back, and says, Mr. Goldberg is by the door. He wants a box of matzah. So I told her, you know, she was very eager to help. So I told her, why don't you go and give him a special box of matzahs? So she goes and she gives him a box of matzahs. Later on in the afternoon, she comes back and she says, you know, Papa, I, I, I was looking for a special box of matzahs and I only saw one white box among all the blue boxes. So I gave him that box. That was the special box of matzahs, right? So he said, you know, my initial reaction was that I was very angry. I mean, this was my only box of Shmura Matzah that I had intended for myself. But then, and at this point, his daughter jumped in and she continued the narrative. And she said, you know, you know what you said? Remember what you said? This is what you said. You said, Tyra Tachter, my dear daughter, you gave 
of course you gave Mr. Goldberg his special box of masa that was meant for him, and we're going to have our special box of masa that's meant for us. And she continued, and she said, you know, later, years later, I was bas mitzvah, and I understood what it means, Shmur matzah, when you started giving me from that box. And I said, you know, Papa, why didn't you tell me to go and get it back? Why didn't you tell me that I did the wrong thing? And you told me that, you know, having Shmur matzah is a chumrah, it's a stringency, it's an extra, it's a nice thing to do, it's special for Pesach to have this matzah that's been watched from the time of harvesting. But you can do the mitzvah with non-Shmur matzah as well. But to get angry, to allow yourself to, to, to lose your temper, and especially with a daughter who was just trying to do the mitzvah of Kibbut Ava'im, that's a Torah prohibition. And I was not going to do, to do a Torah prohibition just because of a chumrah, because of a stringency. And she told him, she said, that was the greatest lesson you taught me about how to treat people, even your own children. And I never forgot that lesson. And that's, a, that's true that's true. Ezehu Gibar, who is a Gibar? And it's such a powerful lesson for us to find something somewhere there that we can take upon ourselves to help control ourselves, control our temper, give up some grudges, give up what there is between us and other people so that we can move on and achieve true achtus. The next part of the Mishnah, Ezehu Ashir, who is the wealthy man, Hasameach Bechelka, is someone who is happy with his lot, who is content with his lot. I'm not going to dwell on this, we don't have that much time. But the key here is there's only one way to be satisfied with what you have, and the only way that a person can be satisfied with what they have is if their fulfillment is not with physical things. If a person's fulfillment and sense of achievement is with physical things, with gashmias, with wealth and material possessions, you can't possibly have enough. It's very simple. Whatever you buy becomes the baseline. That's the new normal. And you you, you can only strive to get bigger and better than that. You can never be happy. The only way we can be happy with what we have is if that's not what gives us our sense of achievement and our sense of fulfillment. If what gives us our sense of achievement and fulfillment is ruchni, it's a spirituality, if that's our goal and our value in life, then we can truly be happy with what we have. Whatever we have assists us. Whatever, however much or however little, only brings us closer to that goal. But I want to share with you a beautiful vart that was said by Rav Shmuel Yosef Rabinov. He was a Talmud of the Chafetz Chaim. He wrote a Sefer called Shir. He was asked once that the Mishnah really should have said something even greater. It should have said, Ezu Asher, who's a wealthy man? If you're happy with what your friend has, which means that your friend gets himself a new, brand new car and you're so happy for him. You're truly happy that he got himself something nice, something new. That's what the Mishnah should have said. That's a true level. That's a true madrega. You're happy with what your friend got. So he answered, he says, you don't realize. He says, if you're happy with what you have, you're rich. But if you can bring yourself to be happy with what your friend has, you are you are the richest man alive. You're the richest man on earth. That's the greatest level a person can achieve. The last thing the Mishnah says, who is a person who is, can be honored, who is a person who is worthy of honor, is someone who gives respect to the people around him. And this is, again, such an important and important point, such an important element of our personal growth if we can see a way, find a way to become better in this aspect of of Ben Adam Mechavere, of making the people around us feel worthy, making the people around us feel honor, that we value them. And that's this concept of validating that I mentioned earlier. 
the, the, the Gemara says, Mishnah says that the people who used to bring Bikurim, they would come to Yerushalayim, they would take their first fruit that grew, and there was a tremendous procession. Different cities would get together and they would form groups, large groups, and they would walk with a minute pomp, and there was a parade, and they would play music, and they would have this ox with golden horns. It was a huge procession. Right? Everybody was doing it together. It was a, ma- a, a huge event. And it says that everybody who they passed by had to stand up, stop what they were doing and stand up and show them respect, even though you were working. And that means it was taking off of your employer's time. They're here, in particular, Chazal required you to get up and show respect. Why? So the Gemara explains, so to show them how much we value what they're doing, to show them how important it is what we're doing, and so that they don't get discouraged, that they should do it again, and they should feel that what they're doing is valuable. And... The Sefer Chedushe Halev is a wonderful Sefer the, from the, the, the Rosh Hashiva of Chavaz Chaim Meshiva, who established Chavaz Chaim Meshiva. He says a, a, such an important message. He says, look how powerful and important it is to give people encouragement. Now, they already had this tremendous procession and they were all doing it together and there was music and there was fireworks and there was everything going on, but still, they needed that the people around them should show respect, should show value, should show that they care and that they value what these people were doing. Give them honor. Value them as human beings. And not only that, but the Mishnah says that if you don't do it, you're actively discouraging them from doing it next year. So that, that puts the onus of giving this validation to other people on us even more than we realize. Yes, it's a wonderful thing to give other people respect, give them that smile, give them that good word, that word of encouragement that they so sorely need. But more than that, if we fail to utilize an opportunity, then in in Shemaim in heaven they say, you actually discouraged that person just now by, by losing out on that opportunity. That's how important this is. That's what the potential of that good word is, how much power it has and how much power is in our hands and how much growth we can achieve for ourselves and for the other people by, by focusing on that. There's a story, it's a very funny story. I read that <clears throat> uh, there was a fellow named Levi Gelbman and he was standing in the lobby of his building in Eretz Yisrael in Beit Shemesh and he was overhearing a gardener whose name was Yonatan. He was making a number of phone calls. This guy was clearly trying to drum up some business, this gardener, landscaper, and he was making cold calls, seemingly he was making cold calls from building manager after building manager, and he was offering his services. He sold himself as an experienced gardener, a landscaper, he creates works of arts with with hedges and flowers and trees and goes after weeds like Chametz on Pesach, but he was being turned down time after time. He made about 15 calls without any results. So Levy Goldman felt very bad for this luckless gardener. So when he finished, Levy approached him and he says, you know, I couldn't overhear but that you're a gardener. Um, you know, maybe I have some work for you on my building. So Yonison smiled and he turned to Levy and says, you know, actually I have absolutely no time. I'm fully booked with clients. I have absolutely no time for any extra jobs. I appreciate your offer though. So Levy was confused and he thought, you know, maybe he was just like being prideful. He didn't want to admit that he didn't have any business. Uh, but Jonathan realized what was going on here, and he says, oh, you know, you must have overheard me making those phone calls. You don't realize what's going on. I was calling my existing clients. All those people I called, those 15 phone calls I made, they were all clients of mine. They were all previous clients that I had. Now, I work for them, and I trim their building, and I do their, their, their landscaping and their gardening, but I never get a single word of feedback from them. They never give me a compliment. They never tell me that they like my work. And it really bothers me. I just don't know, like, you know, am I doing my job well? Are they happy? So I came up with this brilliant idea how I can get some positive feedback. I call them and I offer my services as a gardener and they all tell me, no, we're very happy with our gardener. (laughs) And this is the way I see that I'm being appreciated. 
Now there is the length that a person will go just to get a positive word, to go be recognized. It's a powerful need. And it's a powerful thing to do in any relationship. So to summarize, during these, this time of year, it's so important, of utmost importance and urgency to work and try to improve our Ben Adam Machaber, our relationships with the people around us. And it's that we've been given pause. This story, this tragedy has given us pause and it's a, a moment to reflect and see what we can do to grow. And we've discussed the first line of the Mishnah, who is wise if you learn from all the people around us and we take the opportunity to study and understand our parents, our spouses, the, the, our children, this cashier on the, uh, the, by, by the grocery store, any person we have come in contact with has something to teach us, a way that we can improve upon ourselves and our own Avedis Hashem, our own treatment of our fellow Jew. The Ezehu Gibar who understood that who, what is the true, true test of character, of strength, of perseverance, of power, is if we can successfully hold ourselves back from losing our temper, if we can successfully have the patience to deal with the people around us with a smile and with a good word, if we can find a way to give up our grudges and our resentments and anything that's bothering us about other people, that is true. Kvisha Sayeta is true overcoming our evil inclination. Ezo Asher Samech B'chalka understood that the greatest level, the greatest level that a person can reach in, uh, in Ashirus, in, in wealth, is if we can actually be happy for what other people have then, and, and totally lose our sense of jealousy and, and uh, kinah. And lastly, the Ezehu Mechubet, who is worthy of honor, if you give respect and you give validation and you find a way to compliment and to recognize the people around us, we can think of a way once a day, once a week, to give that compliment, to take note of the people around us, to give a phone call, make them feel valued. That is a tremendous step forward in, 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 in growth, our growth in Beidana Mulchaveray and how much we can accomplish for the people around us. <clears throat> May the schus of us working on ourselves, working on our own unity and our achtos and our self-growth in Avedis Hashem, May it, br- may, it bring us, may it bring us to a point of perfection that we can truly accept the Torah on Shavuos as it is meant to be. And may the merit of us trying to take lesson from what happened to change ourselves may be a merit for those who passed away and a merit for those who are suffering and those who are injured and the families who are, are going through such a difficult time. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu give them the Chama, may HaKadosh Baruch Hu give them strength and may Hashem please keep any further tragedy from befalling the Jewish nation and may He bring Mashiach Sekein of Meher Amen.